Hey, Tori, are you... Uh, why am I even asking this? You've been listening to Christmas music for uh, a while now. You're, you're, you're an early listener, aren't you? Some years I don't even stop listening of... It's just those playlists make their way in. But I would say I start consistently listening to Christmas music around September. Oh, come on. Wow. <laughs> wow. But you know what? Here, here's the thing. I was talking with um, I was talking with someone earlier this week, and they were saying uh, this year, for all sorts of reasons, you know, the, the what we didn't get to celebrate last year, there's this longing this year. And I think he said, I think this is going to be the revenge of the Christmas party year. All those parties that you couldn't have last year, <laughs> people are going to have these parties because we're just longing for community and and celebration and joy. And uh, I I love that. I love that. But in, in the midst of all of that, I'm really excited about our guest. I think Pete's one of those people that really is inviting us to, I don't know, to prepare our hearts for Christmas. I think this is just a timely, timely topic that we're talking about today with our guest, Pete Grieg. Absolutely. And Christmas, yes, it's so fun and Christmas music and jingle bells and all the things, but you know, that's not the meaning. That's not the reason yeah. for the season, yeah. as they say. Um, so Pete does a great job of incorporating these personal anecdotes about do I make Advent, the season of Advent? First of all, what is that? And what am I supposed to do with it? And then why this year is it maybe more important than than ever? Pete is one of those people that I think has helped a bunch of us maybe expand our thoughts on prayer in particular. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Pete is, and I love this description, of course, he's a best-selling author, but he is a bewildered instigator of the 24-7 prayer movement which by now has reached more than half of the nations on earth. I was in a conversation with someone here locally this past week who said, yeah, I'm, I just tapped into Pete's materials after all these years, and it's still stirring up thoughts and ideas about prayer. He's the senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church in England. He's an ambassador for uh, the NGO Tear Fund, if you're familiar with them. Uh, another connection for us is that for for many years, Pete was on that senior leadership team at uh, HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton, which is a church near and dear to our heart and our, our friend, uh, Nikki Gumbel. So uh, Pete's one of those people that I think we would connect with anyway and, and think like. But what I personally loved was that, you know, I anticipated coming alongside him and going, oh, yeah, we, we kind of think alike on some of this. But man, he stretched me. When it comes to prayer and when it comes to to just the intentionality of it, and and you were saying something about just creating space for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think at least in the Western world, which is where I live, we have a pretty in the box, narrow description of what we think prayer is and what it isn't. And Pete and his team, through the twenty four hour prayer room and their prayer courses, they just continually stretch us on what is prayer and it's at the foundation it's this space where you go before god and you anticipate and expect the holy spirit to turn up because yeah. you are so tuned in and so it's creating these spaces intentionally whether it's um, a physical space or it's just a time in your day where you are 
your intention and your focus is on this one thing. You're not multitasking. Um, it's really hard to pray and multitask. It doesn't go well, at least in my life. Um, especially in this season of Christmas, which can be one of the craziest, busiest, loudest seasons. It just connects with this idea of Advent conspiracy, which we talked about last week. And then it makes it even more personal about what am I doing with this in my heart and how am I preparing for, for Christmas? You talk about worshiping fully. This is a way to do that. And I would say now, if I was listening to this, uh, I would be tempted, particularly in the push and pace of the Christmas season to go, oh, I don't think I have time to hear something on prayer. You really ought to just hang in there and listen to Pete. He's engaging. He's funny. Uh, why don't we just jump in on this conversation? Pete Grieg is the author of books like Red Moon Rising, God on Mute, Dirty Glory, and How to Pray, How to Pray. This this man who just leads so many people to reconsider how powerful prayer is. Let's drop in on our conversation now with Pete Grieg. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. This is just, I'm so excited to have you. So <laughs> thank you, Greg. Well, as you can, as you can hear, as your listeners can hear, uh, I'm, I'm English speaking to you from the UK right now. Um, I always find it's interesting talking to Americans with, with this accent because you get one of two responses. They either go, um, you know, you're, you're, you sound intelligent, which really isn't the case. Or they say there's something sinister about you, and I don't know what it is. And that's the answer. To that is, is Greg is, is Disney, like because every time Disney wants to voice an evil character, they they use my accent, which is just outrageous. Well, okay, so but I have to stop you for a second. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I I love that. Um, I, I think it's on YouTube where someone just begins to explain all of the different accents within the UK, like we have here stateside. And so how would you, because I'm not very good, I I can tell them apart, and I know a few of them, but how would you describe your accent to other uh, folks from from the UK? Mine would be, they'd probably call it a home counties, southeast of England, London accent. My mom's Scottish. So she has a Scottish accent, but I grew up in the southeast of England. So the, the crazy thing here, Greg, is you you can drive, I'm not exaggerating, for one hour and have a completely different accent. Whereas when I lived in the States, you have to drive quite a bit more than that for the accent to shift. So it's kind of, you know, you, you could fit the UK, prob- I don't know, probably into Texas or something. But <laughs> There's just incredible diversity, and and we can read each other pretty well according to which accent a person has. We, and not just where they live geographically, but probably a little bit about their sort of socioeconomic background as well. So I I went to quite privileged schools, and that would probably be reflected in my accent as well. All right. Well, I interrupted you, so that so now that we know a little bit about accents, <laughs> but tell us a little bit more about you, your family. So yeah, I'm I'm. Uh, married to Sammy, uh, we've got two grown-up sons. One is a poet, and the other is um, studying immunology at university. Uh, when he got into that, we thought, you know, wouldn't you rather just be a normal doctor? And he said, "No, I'm really interested in the research." And then COVID happened, and we realised wow. he's landed on his feet. He's just entered the best-funded field in the world for the rest of all of our lives. So he's done all right. 
Um, I'm a pastor of a church in, in the south of England called Emmaus Road, a multi-congregational church. Um, I'm the accidental and increasingly bewildered founder of a global movement called 24-7 Prayer. We started with one prayer room in 1999 because we were bad at prayer and realized it's the key to everything. And, and God showed up in the prayer room. The thing back then, Greg would have said it went viral. I don't know if you can say that anymore. And now we're in over half the nations on earth. We're working with everyone from the Catholic Church at the highest levels to, you know, the Salvation Army. We've had, you know, Rolling Stone magazine features and kind of all sorts. It's been a wild ride. It's global movement of prayer, mission, and justice. And um, I split my life between living just over half of it on a riverboat and the other half on an island. Yeah. Well, okay. So you have to explain that a little bit further. So the the, the church that I pastor is in a, a city called Guildford, and there's a few others. We've got congregations in Woking and Aldershot around there. And there's a there's a river. It's like uh, it feeds into the River Thames. You know the big old river that goes through the middle of London. It's called the River Way, W E Y. So um, you know it, the, the kind of any of your listeners who spent any time in Europe will know it, it's very different sort of topography and geography. So instead of having your shopping malls on the outside of you know, a town or a city or in, in these kind of oases. The center of town, the center of a city is where all the, you know, cafes and shops are. And that's because they these all grew up without any planning, right, just from villages. So um, right through the middle of Guildford, where, where, where we're based, is this river. So I can go to the train station. I can go... The, the cinema i can I, I can go shopping by boat and we just thought it'd be fun so it's a 60 foot long nine foot wide barge you know it would have been a you know just shipping goods around hundreds of years ago and we putter up and down the river and most of the year we love it it's a little bit miserable november december january but the rest of the time it's pretty cool and then the other part of the year you live on an island we, there's an island off the south coast of England called the Isle of Wight. Uh, my mom lives here. She's getting on a bit, needs a bit of care. Um, and, the, you know, I believe God spoke to me uh, a few years ago a- about um, creating space for mentoring leaders. I've, I've written eight books, so a space for writing, um, a space for hospitality. With We've got this kind of retreat center on this island. And we're just saving up at the minute to get a fishing boat so that people won't have to come over on the ferry. We'll be able to go and collect them. And and um, and, and we love it. It's absolutely – I mean, I'm speaking to you now, looking across at a lighthouse mm-hmm. across the ocean, sitting on top of a cliff. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we all are now – inspired and a little envious and that's that's i love that um <laughs> so so I, I i i'm not trying to wax too poetic we're going to leave that to your son but i would say this you, you talk about being on a river and being on an island and i immediately started thinking you know metaphorically it's like well like some of life is is about moving and some of, of life is really truly about staying in one place and sitting still and yeah. um 
I, uh, when you talk about prayer, so I, I understand that you were uh, now where did where what church was it that you really began to feel this this word from God about prayer? So I was um, one of the pastors, part of the leadership team of a of a church on the south coast called Revelation Church, and we had the problem we had was that our programs were working. And so things were going well. The church was growing, and it occurred to me our programs were so effective that if God died, we might not notice. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, sometimes stewarding our success is harder than, you know. Well, you get, you get to, when things are hard, it's easier for me to get to the end of me and remember yeah. how desperately yeah, yeah. I need That's God. It. All the stats say that most people pray, and even atheists pray when they're in a crisis. You know, not many people, you know, go for their first round of chemotherapy and and and, and say, I, I can't be bothered to pray, you know? And equally, not many people hold a newborn baby and say, behold, a, a biological fluke born into a meaningless universe, you know? Like, life is too wonderful and too terrible for us to handle, which is why we turn to God in prayer. And so we, we, we yeah, I just, I just got spiritually hungry is the best way I can say it because things were going well. And I, I felt like I was on a conveyor belt getting sort of mild applause. And I realized this could be the rest of my life. And I'd have missed it. I'd have somehow missed it because you know, we was we were just weak on spirituality. Mm. We're weak on depth. We're weak on on prayer. So we, yeah, we started the first prayer room just because we were bad at prayer and realized we we needed to work out how to how how to do it. Saint Augustine said, um, "Thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee." And and I think there was just a lot of salt on my lips. I just got thirsty. So yeah, that was fifth uh, yeah. of September, nineteen ninety nine. We started praying. But it was a prayer room. And so when you say that, and different people, some of our listeners will be uh, familiar with that or have an idea or an image of that, accurate or no. And then other people are, are, are saying, well, what, what are you talking about, prayer room? Can you explain that? So <laughs> because we're now in thousands of locations, they can look anything from you know a, a 16th century chapel through to you know the back room of a pub we, we we've had prayer rooms everywhere we had a prayer room in a brewery in missouri we had a you know prayer room on, on a ship we've had prayer rooms all over but i guess a normal one if there is such a thing would be you know a space that is decked out to help people articulate their heart cries to god and to hear him without it being boring and so we're trying to utilize the five senses. You know, um, one of my favorite little things, often in prayer rooms, there'll be a cross in the corner, say, and, you know, there'll be a paper shredder at the bottom of it. And, you know, you just encourage to come and write down your sins, all the crap you need to get rid of, and, and shred it at the foot of the cross. You know, it's just, you know, and the great thing about this is you can bring a six-year-old in and they enjoy it. You know, it seems to me that if if kids find it boring, you're missing something. So. Um, often the prayer spaces will be pretty, you know, creative, 
and and we we make space for people to obviously pray conventionally you know with words and the bible but also you know dance their prayers drum their prayers paint their prayers and so on i don't see how you can limit something as ephemeral and eternal as prayer to mere words if if we're going to if prayer is us interacting with the eternal transcendent god of the universe then how could prayer fit into a box it you know i i believe that there are some places my my forebears here in the uk that the, the celtic saints you know would talk about thin places where the veil between heaven and earth is somehow less and i think we've all experienced that you know um spaces that make you want to whisper um spaces that 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 god seems somehow not necessarily more present but more evidently present present and where prayer is easier and one of the things we've discovered through 21 years of non-stop prayer is that when you pray sort of consistently in a place something cumulative happens and even people who don't believe in the existence of god will often step into those places and say oh like i can feel something here what 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 is that so um we we talked a lot i think particularly in you know the sort of protestant end of, of christianity about you know how god's holy spirit can fill a person but i think what we're learning is that the holy spirit can also fill a place and i think that's a little bit to do with sacred space and 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 we need it our world needs it you know thomas merton when he abandoned the new york literary scene um you know during the vietnam war and and he retreated to a, a, a you know a, a monastery he said i've been wondering what just held the world together what stopped the world just fragmenting atomizing and he said i, I believe it's it it's it's the the centrifugal power of praying people so we need sacred spaces at the heart of um a, a very broken world i believe so so let's lean into the the brokenness of this world after the last 18 or so months 2 years let's right. say and everything our world has faced um what's different about the conversations surrounding this idea of prayer. You've mentioned more than once that there are those who will, and I agree, I've, I've seen it, I've talked with people, who will tell me they don't even know that there is a God, but they do cry out in those moments of crisis. What are you seeing both with, I, let's call them believers, and those who are not yet believing or who are skeptics? What's What have you noticed about these about the conversation around prayer in these last couple of years? Well, all the research shows that there's been an absolutely massive turning to prayer since the pandemic began. I mean, in the UK alone, it's estimated in the early days of the pandemic, 3 million people turned to prayer who wouldn't normally be praying. So, and we, we, we see that around the world. I mean, in the 24-7 prayer movement, we've, we've had our busiest year ever. Demand for our resources has gone through through the roof so you know and that's not rocket science you know it's pretty obvious that suddenly everyone goes oh the things i thought i could put my my you know my faith in are not as certain as i thought 
life suddenly feels very fragile. Um, I, I, and I, I need to ask the fundamental questions. I mean, Greg, you and I have a mutual friend, Nikki Gumbel, the pioneer of, of, of Alpha, you know, which, you know, millions and millions of people, I don't know, 29 million or something, have, have, have done this course, which is just exploring the basics of what the 2.4 billion Christians in the world believe. He would say that almost everybody coming on Alpha in, in his church in London right now is because of the pandemic. So a, a crisis of meaning, really, for people um, try, trying to seek out what is a, a lasting true purpose in this world. Those who are on the perhaps the other side of a of a of a faith journey who they 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 do trust in God and they do believe in God and they even in their own way would would understand at least some fraction of the power of prayer. I want us to invite people into this, not bludgeon them into it. How, how do we how do we who are Christians talk about prayer? To those who are trying to figure out whether there is even one, anyone listening to those prayers. You know, in 21 years of the 24-7 prayer movement, one of the greatest discoveries we've made is people who don't want to be preached at still want to be prayed for. Oh, wow. Like, we have almost never met anybody who, if, you, if politely and kindly you offered to pray for them, declined it it reflects what all the research also shows that almost everybody does actually pray so prayer is a a, a, a missional connection space um i've i was like what well, like uh rumi said you know the, the 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 mystic rumi he said uh in the there's a clearing in the forest and i shall meet you there you know the, there's that sense of there are these spaces in which we can connect with people who think differently. And I think prayer is a clearing in the forest for all of us. Um, now, of course, it's important questions to ask about what is it? Is it more than just a psychological technique? Uh, what is God like? Uh, do, mir are miracles, do miracles happen in here? Is it just me that has some kind of a change or do, do miracles happen out there in, 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 in any sort of material sense? So there's lots of conversations to be had. But, and I think at the, at the root of your question, Greg, is simply this. Like, often, like, Christians are just rude. Like, <laughs> we just don't use good social skills. Why is that? Why, why is that? Well, partly because most of us only got saved because we're completely dysfunctional humans in the first place. I mean, you know, sometimes you need to stop blaming the church and think if these people are, are Muppets, think how much worse they'd be if they weren't Christians, you know? So, uh, so that's the first reason. I think the second reason is we take a Messiah complex onto ourselves. Um, you know, we feel like it's our job to save the planet, which is a really, I mean, the only person who never had a Messiah complex was Jesus, ironically. You know, he, he had time for picnics, fishing trips, kids like hanging out with him. You know, I mean, he, he, you know, he, he was firm with religious people, but gentle and gracious with pretty much everyone else. So, you know, that Monty Python line, you know, he's not the Messiah, he's just a very naughty boy. You know, I think a lot of us have just got to 
stop feeling like we got to save the planet, realize that God is big and clever. He's in charge. Uh, in the words of Julian of Norwich, the great uh, you know, medieval mystic who wrote the first woman to be a published author in the English language, Julian of Norwich, if quoted by T.S. Eliot, says, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. In other words, it's going to be okay. So I think sometimes Christians are a little anxious, and they feel like it's all on them, and we need to just inhale, exhale, and maybe just focus a bit more on being kind to people. Like If we are kinder to people than anyone else, if we listen to the people better than anyone else, it is a matter of moments until they ask us the questions to which Jesus is the answer. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree. There's a, um, earlier, just a minute ago, I think I would say some of the mystery of what it is to enter into this, this prayer experience with God. Uh, but that is also me trusting his absolute sovereignty in all of this. Which means I'm not in charge of all of this. Which means, which, which, which I think this is me now talking, but I, I guess it's always been me talking, right? I don't think there's anyone else in this room with me now that I think about it. But, um, so it's, but there's a humility to that, right? right. So if I'm not God and, and that's not my job, then I enter into this mystery of prayer. But I love that you wrote a book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Because I do talk with some folks who are early in their journey, or maybe maybe they've been at this long, long years. And the mystery part of it is almost, um, it's almost intimidating to some people. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, and I love the idea of there, there is... It's not a formula, but there is a, a way for people to start taking these steps. Can you talk a little bit about that book and its message and, and how we, it feels like it to me, Pete, tell me if I'm missing this, but it feels like you're telling us to live sort of in the tension point between the mystery, the, the, the unexplainable power of prayer and the real life nuts and bolts practical aspects of prayer we hang on to both of those I, I, that's what i hear when i read or hear you speak about prayer yeah i mean i think prayer you know prayer is an art and i have a good friend called charlie mackersy you know he, he wrote that book that's been on the new york Times bestseller list for how many years now and 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 i remember he was sitting in my living room staring at a particular piece of art that i quite liked and he said the trouble with that is the guy it's being really creative, but he just never learned to draw well. And I really, it really surprised me. You know, mm. I, 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 I thought, um, I thought we were supposed to think that all art was good and valid. But he's like, no, no, no. If you look at, say, an early Picasso, right? You know, Picasso noses and ears all over the place. Yeah. Picasso knew how to draw. And and Charlie's point was, that's just hard work. You just got to learn the skill. You just got to do the hours, and then you can express and create any which way you want. And I think sometimes, you know, um, with prayer, what we don't realize is there are certain things we can just learn that will help us, that will set us up for life, for the most important moments of life. 
And yeah. um, I think that's great news. That's not that, that's not intimidating. That's like I what a completely gift. agree. Yes, you know. But then what that does is it gives you a gateway into a space of ultimate mystery, right? I mean, for all of us, there'll be that moment before the split line when, when you know, we're, we're about to die. And there's us and God and nothing we've achieved in our lives will mean anything. So you better have some way of connecting with him in that moment, right? So, so this stuff really matters. So in the book, you know, I, I, I don't really like acronyms, okay? But I use an acronym because this works and it's P-R-A-Y. This is basically going on the philosophy that if it works for a, like a, an eight-year-old, it's true. And so P-R-A-Y goes like this. Pause, rejoice, ask, yield. Or, or you can, if, you do, if you're teaching this to little kids, just swap that tricky word yield for yes. It works just as well. So now, th- listen, you can talk to God anytime, any place, any which way. But if you're sitting down to have like an intentional time, you, you're like, I, I, I want to try this thing. I want to get into this, this, these four steps. And look, look at them more like dance steps than rungs on a ladder will really help you. So first of all, pause. That's, that's be still and know that I'm God. Before you... You know, put down your 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 shopping list. Put down your, your all the things you want to ask God for a second, and just give due respect. Okay, so be still. The Bible says, and know that I'm God. So I teach some skills in the book about just breathing well, centering ourselves. Be still, center, focus on God, and and that might just be for a minute or two, but that that is. You know, all that sort of nowness stuff that, that all the, you know, the books you can buy at airports are teaching right now is profoundly Judeo-Christian. This is rooted in the Bible. Okay, so we, we just need to talk about it. So that's the pause. But then rejoice is kind of obvious. It's like actually count your blessings, give thanks, you know, and then, and then asking, that's the bit we're easy at. And I talk about stuff like unanswered prayer. I talk about miracles. God does do, I've seen miracles, but I've also seen unmiracles. My wife's had a chronic illness for more than, you know, two decades. And, and I have to process why God hasn't answered those prayers. So I talk really honestly about, uh, about all of that stuff. And, and, and then yield is, is, is really, I think, Greg, when you're talking about the more mystical side, that, that, that is the most beautiful space of having paused and rejoiced and, and asked God what you need to just move into a contemplative space. Let me just bring this into land here because I know some of the listeners are going, well, that sounds super spiritual. That's like for like saints. But let me tell you, every single one of us does this all the time because we're built to do it and I can prove it. Okay. So, Here's an example. You go to the movie theater. Uh, you're sitting there to watch the movie. You've paid a lot of money for it. You've got your Coke and your popcorn. There's the annoying guy behind you on his phone. Um, you know, you're trying to get into the movie. It's me and the movie, but it's hard work. But you, you're like, I'm going to get into this film if it kills me because, you know, <laughs> this is my evening. Then what happens if it's a half decent movie? 
is somewhere along the line, it moves from me and the movie to the movie and me. The, the, the focus shifts. You stop being aware. You forget your Coke and your popcorn. You forget the guy behind you. You're caught up in the film, right? You're kind of vaguely aware you're sitting in a cinema, but you're there. Now, if it's not just a good film, if it is a great film, a really great film, what happens is you are transported somewhere else. You forget that you're in a movie theater. You forget that you're watching actors on a screen. You get so caught up in the movie that it's like it's really happening. And those are the great cathartic moments of our lives. Those are the movies we leave and grab our friends and say, you've got to see this. And it is a rumor of another world. It's a hint that you and I were made not to bow down at the altar of our own narcissistic self-absorption, but to lose ourselves in the ocean of something greater than ourselves. And that's why, as long as humanity continues, as long as however far science takes us, we will never lose our passion for the arts, for great moments of sporting euphoria, for, for great concerts, great movies, everything that transports us to a place beyond ourselves, we say, well, that's what really makes life worth living. And I believe as a Christian that that is because ultimately we are built to be lost in wonder, love and praise. We're built to be worshippers of God. Well, and, and to me, what's so encouraging about what you're saying is that you prefaced it all by talking, I think you said, if an eight-year-old can begin to understand this, then then we can understand this, which to me then shifts just a, a little bit because I think, are, are you not uh, working on, or I, I think you've, you've just announced that uh, there's a, a kid's version of this book that is, is right? Yeah, which is literally today. You've, you've been hot on social media today, Greg. <laughs> yeah, literally today. I spent today editing a, a kid's version of this book of How to Pray, Simple Guide for Normal People. So it's a new series. The first in the series was my friend Bear Grylls, and that was Soul Fuel for Young Explorers. And the second is going to be my book, which is How to Pray for Young Explorers. So we've had such fun cartoons, you know, little quotes, fun facts, little story, real life stories. It's, it's, it's been awesome. And, uh, yeah, a lot of people, it's going to come out sometime next year, but uh, even just from what I put on social today, a lot of people saying can't wait for that. So, so that's exciting. Oh, I think it's great. I think it's great. I've talked with, uh, I've talked with those folks that, that Nav Press has published my last two books. And so I'm well aware of Bear Grylls, uh, his book and then um your book coming out and it's just i just love this idea of being able to equip young world changers um let's not wait let's not wait um and to me this idea of talking to them about even unanswered prayer i mean of course i haven't seen your book yet but the idea of of helping a younger person to begin to navigate and to to wrestle with these questions i think it's just so important um to to begin to prepare them for this earlier rather than later because it's not if it's going to come up it's when it's going to come up yeah and and, and probably already has you know i mean anyone who's done any spent any time with kids 
and, and talked meaningfully, they've all they've all had their little hearts broken. You know, it, it seems to me the Bible is more honest about this stuff than the church is. Totally you know, agree. The Bible's full of unanswered prayers. And if if you or I were re- were, were like editing the Bible, like <laughs> we we would redact that stuff from the text. It's like no, it's not helpful. It's not good salesmanship. That's what we would do. We would say yeah, this doesn't right. fit in the marketing plan at all. Totally. And and you turn up at, at church and it's like, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm always great. It's like, you know, and, and you analyze the lyrics and the songs we sing. This is getting better, by the way. I've been banging on about this for a few years. Where is the lament? And, uh, and various people have started to, write some really good songs of, of, of lament, which is great for the church. But we have to change the culture. You know, we have to change the culture. Where the church is meant to be a hospital for broken people. It's not meant to be a museum for, you know, relics, or, or and it's, and it's certainly not meant to be like a Disney show. This, you know, the church should be the place where people can be more honest, more real, about anything else because you don't you don't get into this christianity thing without passing the first hurdle of admitting that you've messed up that your life is broken you know every time we take communion we admit this stuff so let's try and be a bit more real and i think with kids we owe it to them to say do you know what sometimes horrible things happen that we don't understand but it's still possible to trust god even when you don't fully understand this episode uh, is being released uh, during the Advent season, and um, then for me personally, that's something that I, I have felt a a call and a wait to to help people to know how to find God and to experience the really the whole spectrum of the Advent story and the gift and the hope. How, how to do that? in the midst of a world that is complicated and distracting. And could you talk to us about what role prayer would have in this season of preparing our hearts for Christmas and the Advent? Well, I mean, prayer doesn't have a role. Prayer is the lead player. I mean, this is a season of waiting, anticipating, and preparation. All three of those words are prayer words, right? And so, um, you, you know, as we get our hearts ready for the coming of Christ at Christmas, but also, of course, Advent is also preparing for the return of Christ. You know, uh, that, that's that's theologically, historically, equally a part of this season. So, so prayer is 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 us, you know, preparing our hearts. Um, you know, as I said earlier, learning to to be still, man, this is one of the busiest times of the year. Let's learn how to pause and be still. Um, and and of course, it's preparation with rejoicing. That's my P-R-A-Y thing. I mean, it's a joyful anticipation of the coming of Christ, right? It's, you know, it's Mary's Magnificat, one of the one of the greatest worship songs of all time as she feels this baby who's going to be the consolation of all Israel growing within her. It's, it's this eruption of worship. So this is, this is joyful uh, 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 waiting. Someone said to me once, you know, uh, Christians don't hope for the future. We hope from the future. 
right? So, so we, 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 we know that Christ comes at Christmas. We know that he's coming again. So we, we kind of anchor in that and we pull that reality into the present. We have hope for today because we're defined not by our present circumstances or even what's happened in our past, but we have hope because of what we see coming to us from the future. So we hope from the future into the present. So, you know, this is all about prayer. It's about, you know, also prayerful reading of the scriptures. You know, it's high time we learn how to pray the Bible, not just read the Bible. We're not meant to take this book for education and information. We're meant to come to it for revelation and conversation. So we've got to learn how to pray the Bible. It's why one of the things I'm passionate about, especially in this Advent season, is the Lectio Divina, yes. you know, that ancient technique of slow, cyclical reading. You know, we're doing a special season for Advent. We have hundreds of thousands of daily users um, who are using it as a way of slowing down and prayerfully preparing their hearts for Christmas um, using the scriptures uh, to encounter God. Yes. Well, for our listeners, we're going to make sure that they have uh, all of the appropriate links and ways to access these resources. Pete, I knew this going in that we were going to run out of time. I knew it going in. Uh, And so I want to be really respectful of your time. If it's okay, I want to ask you just some of these kind of quick, you just give me first thing that comes to mind, sort of answers to these questions, okay? So we want to give a shout out to to a person, an organization, an artist that is doing great things in the world that perhaps we don't know about. And so we're calling it a way to go award. We don't have any money that we can give them we don't even have any hardware but who are you nominating for a way to go award okay so i'm going to nominate a, a brilliant nonprofit called tear fund sure. the website is tearfundusa.org t-e-a-r-f-u-n-d tear fund uh, are addressing uh the injustices of this world but with such intelligence partnering with the local church as their distribution network so they're incredibly efficient and i'm an ambassador for them i'm proud to do that because they they just do a fantastic work yes that's great that's great here are the one questions it's it's a godzillion and one here's the end one one person that has made a lasting impact on your life oh my 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 uncle michael who prayed for me every day of my life Mm. Until the day that he died in a, in a in a climbing accident when I was in my twenties, I will never know how much I owe to that quiet, shy man who struggled with depression, who so faithfully invested into my account over all those years. Wow. Okay. Um, what's one thing you're loving these days that we should check out? You know, it's Advent and whatever over the rhine is doing i know this is a badly kept secret but i mean their track blood oranges oh my goodness so you you, you, you if you want to get into the christmas mood just google over the rhine and uh, you're going to be there <laughs> yes i love them okay all right what's uh and this is a loaded question that we've been talking about it all episode long but what's one way that you're connecting with god these days Oh, definitely this thing of Lectio Divina, learning to pray the Bible. To, you know, 
just just read don't don't try and read so much just read a little bit read read until a word or a phrase kind of jumps out at you and then linger with it and 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 chew on it and circle it and use your imagination around it and turn it into conversation with god it might sound simple but it is transformational beautiful what's one lesson you wish you could have learned sooner oh i think that kindness eats intensity for breakfast please say that one more time kindness eats intensity for breakfast you know like when i was younger i thought intensity was this great thing but do you know you know intensity is not a fruit of the holy spirit joy is like we we need to chill out but kindness kindness is kindness is better than 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 beauty kindness is better than wealth a person who is kind truly changes the world thank you for that what's one trait you had as a kid growing up that you still have today Oh, I get fascinated by anything. Okay. <laughs> like, like uh, Greg, if we were sitting down after this having a coffee and it turned out that you were into, uh, you, you know, I don't know, a certain kind of insect and you had a collection of these insects, I, I would get absolutely obsessed. I would become fascinated because I, I just – I, I just get really into what people are into. So um, I, I kind of adopt adopt stuff, music and hobbies and passions and trivia everywhere I go. And I like that because I think, I think kids are good at learning and being full of wonder. Yes. And I, I really hope that I never lose that. Yes, yes. Okay, last question. And again, thank you so much for just sharing your heart and your vision with us. But what's one way that you're moving into this next year with hope? Well, I think that 2022, you know, has to be the year that we finally come out the other side of, um, you know, the worst of this pandemic, that uh, we've learned some lessons, that we might be a bit kinder to the planet, that we might value friends and family uh, more, um, might appreciate Christmas this year more than ever without some of the restrictions we had over the last two, and ultimately and most importantly, that we might ask eternal questions to which the birth of Jesus Christ is the most beautiful, loving, and hope-filled answer. This has just been rich, um, and I, I just appreciate you. I appreciate your your leadership, your words, your vision, your writings, your heart, Pete. Um, thank you one more time for just being with us and and causing us to consider these eternal things in in a way that we can actually live them out in this real world. So, uh, just cheers, friend. I, I'm just so grateful. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Happy Christmas. <laughs> Thanks for listening to a Godzillion and One podcast. Subscribe, share this episode with a friend, and head over to gregholder.com for the show notes. And as always, stop and notice this week the shockingly and seemingly endless ways to connect with each other, this world, and the God who made it all. We'll see you next time.